ready. I love this season. And we are focusing this season on the presence. Somebody say amen. amen. That's right. You know, they say don't focus on the presence at Christmas. I say we better be focusing on the presence for Christmas. Amen. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. And it is the presence that God gave us in Emmanuel. Everybody say, God with us. His presence, the presence of the living God with us. That ought to make you just jump up and dance and sing and all of that, right? Yeah. God with us. Hmm. See, let me give you a, we're going to jump in. Are y'all ready to jump in the deep end right off the bat? <clears throat> so follow me. Why is it such a big deal? Well, here's why it's such a big deal. It, it really is a big deal because God is a holy and pure God. Amen. He is holy. He is holy. And sin separates or sin pushes against holiness because holiness is what is true and what is right. Holiness is truth. It's purity. That's what it is. That's what the word holy means. It's without blemish. It's holy. And so holiness is what is right. Holiness is what is true. We've spent the last couple of months talking about that sin is when we act on the lie. Oh, y'all remember that? We listen to the lie of the enemy and we act on that lie and the result of acting on the lie is sin. So sin is the absence of truth. If the enemy is the liar, we're listening to the lie, we act on the lie, the lie is the opposite of truth. Are y'all with me so far? All right? So because the lie is the opposite of truth and God is a holy God and he cannot be in or have relationship with the lie. What is not true? What is sin? Oh, come on. He cannot be in or have relationship with sin. Matter of fact, sin and the lie cannot coexist. Or sin, which is the lie, cannot coexist with truth. All right? All right. So, the lie, acting on the lie separates us from his holiness, from what is true, from what is pure. And because that separation happens, then the relationship, y'all understand, I said this last week, that from the very beginning in the garden, all God ever wanted was to walk with us, to have relationship with us. To walk and talk in the mornings and in the evenings. That was what was happening in the garden. This beautiful relationship. 
But because he could not be in the presence of sin, the relationship was messed up, right? He could not have relationship like he desired. So, in order to have relationship with us, y'all understand, sin has a weight to it. It has a price. Sin costs. Can I get an amen? Right? Sin costs. Sin is a debt that must be paid. All right? Sin is a debt. It creates a debt. It's a debt-debtor relationship. All right? So sin creates a debt. And, and so something or someone has to pay the debt for the relationship to be restored, right? Because the relationship is severed by the debt that sin creates. So you see it all through the Old Testament. God created a way that the debt could be covered by the blood of an innocent animal. And when the the debt was covered, right, When the debt was paid, the cost of sin was paid, then God could have relationship with his people. All right? Are y'all with me so far? All right? So that is so much the story of the entire Old Testament. If you remember last week in, in Exodus, I read just a small part of what it took to cover the debt, to cover the sin, where he goes on for over five chapters and he says, I want to meet with you, but to meet with you for the debt to be covered, for sin to be paid for, you're going to have to build this, you're going to have to make this, you're going to have to sow that, you're going to have to mold this out of gold, you're going to have to prepare that, and then you're going to have to prepare the sacrifice and then you're going to when you get the sacrifice ready and then you sacrifice it if you do everything exactly like you you're supposed to the blood of that sacrifice will cover the sins of the people the debt will be paid and then I can be present with you cuz I can't be in the presence of all the sin and I want to be with you So if you do all of those things right, the debt will be paid, and I can walk with you. I can be present with you. Hmm. Because in my presence is power, is peace, is life. In my presence is the fullness of What is joy, not happy? Come on, y'all. Right? Right? And and here's really what he's saying. You may want to get your notes and write this down. Uh Uh-oh, there it is. It says, because in his presence is really all that we work so hard for in this life. It's all found in his presence. Why would they go to all that trouble 
for 4,000 years. 4,000 years they went through all of the trouble of doing all the right things and all the right sacrifices so that his presence would be with them and sin would not separate them from him. Why would they do it? Because they realized something we don't. That all we really work for, all we ever really need is all truly found in his presence. In his presence. It really is. And so today, we're going to do just a little bit of trying to understand the power that's found in his presence. What is it? We celebrate this season, God with us, Emmanuel, the virgin birth, all of that. Why is it such a big deal? Because it really is life and death in so many ways. You know, my prayer is that we learn. Y'all realize that right now in this room is the presence of the living God. He is here. He is here. And some of you are like, yeah, I experienced his presence in worship. I leaned into that. And then there's others in the room that went, well, it was good music. You know? You're like, how in the world can you stand right by somebody and they're just like melting in the presence of God? And you're like, cool. How does that work? You know? It's because one's leaning in, the other one's just being entertained. <laughs> Come on, somebody say ouch, right? Right, it's the truth. It really, really is the truth. And here's the thing. Here's why it's such a big deal. Because all of our provisions, all of our real direction for life, all the power that we need to drive out the enemy is all found in his presence. In just being with him. Just being with him. And, and the Old Testament, you see this played out so clearly. So, so clearly. Matter of fact, right up above what we read last week in all of those five and a half chapters of you got to do this and build this and all of that. It starts out just a little bit above that. He says this. Have the people make an ark of acacia wood, a sacred chest 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, and 27 inches high. Overlay it inside and out with pure gold and run the molding of gold around it. Cast four golden rings and attach them to its four feet to two rings on each side. Make poles from acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. And then he continues on and on with all of the instructions. Then he says, inside this box that is the ark, after you get it all built, then there's angels or cherubims that are on top made of gold and all of these things. He said, then I want you to put a few things in them. One of those was the Ten Commandments and then some articles of worship. 
So I want you to put those in there. And then just a couple of verses later, this is verse 13. After he gives them all the instructions, I'm not going to read all of them. He says this, I will meet with you there. And this is where we started last week. He says, I will meet with you there. I will talk with you from above the atonement cover between the golden cherubim that hover over the Ark of the Covenant. For there I will give you my commands for the people of Israel. It's there wherever this Ark of the Covenant is. Wherever your temple that I gave you all of these instructions, make the curtains like this, you know, the poles like this, the structure like this. I gave you all of that. Wherever the temple goes, wherever the Ark of the Covenant is placed in the temple, I will meet with you there. I will be present there. I will be your God there. And, and you see it as they, as they were traveling. The scripture says that his presence was so real, they could actually see it with their eyes. Now that's pretty cool. Matter of fact, it says that during the day, his presence was a big cloud. His, the cloud would, now these people are in the wilderness, right? <laughs> it is hot. And the cloud offered protection. The cloud offered a shade from the heat. And here's what it says, that any time the cloud would start to move, all the people would see it and go, okay, God's moving because I want to be where his presence is. You know, and so they would all start packing up the tents and the and the and the uh, tabernacle and all of that. They'd pack it all up, and wherever the cloud went, that's where they went because that was where the presence of God was. And when the cloud would stop, they would stop. They would set up the tabernacle. They would set up all of their tents, and the presence of God would then at night be this pillar of fire that went up into the sky called the Shekinah glory. And it was this literally like a column of fire that was constantly going from this ark, this box that really wasn't very big, 27, 40, you know, I mean, it really wasn't a very big box, but from that box where his presence was, was this column of fire. And, and it offered protection at night. Do you realize that, that that column of fire gave them protection like they could sleep because they knew the God of the universe was watching out for them. The God of the universe was with them. And because there was this fire, it gave light to the whole camp. Because of this fire, it gave light outside of the camp. Nobody would attack them because of the fire. No one, nobody going to, nobody, the enemy could not sneak up on them in the middle of the night because of the presence of the living God. And also, write this down. His presence provides daily all we need. Now, now, I got to underline, highlight, circle, you need to do something with the word daily. Daily. 
Not only was there a cloud, not only was there this pillar of fire that was like, okay, God is here. Every morning they woke up and all the food they needed for that day was laying on the ground around them in the form of manna. And all they had to do was go out and get what they needed for that day, what they needed. His presence provides daily what we need. Everything else is gravy. Come on. I'm just going to tell you, we as Americans struggle with what we need and what we want. How many of you know there's a big gap? I need a new car. I need a... No, let's just be honest. I need something to get to work. <laughs> right? I need something to get to work. You know, I do. But, but I don't need... I mean, my idea of need is way different than most of the world. Y'all realize that, right? We are spoiled. Look at somebody and say, you're spoiled. And then if you're married to him, say, because you're married to me. All right? Go ahead. All right? <laughs> All right? Uh, but, but the truth is, how many of you know, all through this season, that's one of my things. Somebody say, how's it going? I say, I'm spoiled and I know it. Because some of us don't know we're spoiled. But we are. Come on, right? We are. In his presence, here's how serious his presence was. See, if he gave them more than what they needed for just that day, they don't need him tomorrow. Or at least they don't think they need him tomorrow. When we have everything we need, when we have everything, even a whole lot of what we want, let's face it, we don't seek him like we do when we need. Come on. And that's why he said, get all that you need for that day. Because whatever is more than what you need that day, it's going to rot at the end of the day. And if you eat it, you're going to be sick. You're going to be sick. Because you just take care of today. You know, he gave his provision. It says that even the clothes they wear did not wear out. Think about this. For 40 years, their clothes look brand new. And it hit me this morning. Matter of fact, it's written in pen in my notes because it hit me this morning. Not only did for 40 years their clothes look like brand new. They could all still wear the same clothes after 40 years. You know why? Because they ate what they needed. And what they needed was God food. And that's a whole nother thing, isn't it? But when they ate what God provided, no more, no less, they didn't, get, they didn't outgrow their clothes for 40 years. That just blows my mind. That he gave daily all that they needed. Then write this down. 
His presence led them and us to his promise. It was his presence that was leading them through the wilderness. It was his presence that would go and tell them to stop. And here's where you quit. And here's what you do. All of that. It was his presence. So they understood doing all the stuff to have his presence was worth it. Doing all of that and building all of that was no sacrifice at all because of the benefits of his presence, of who he was with them. And in Joshua, you read where they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And Joshua tells the people, don't go anywhere until you see the ark moving. Matter of fact, let's read a couple verses in Joshua. It says, give this command to the priest who carry the Ark of the Covenant. And, and the Ark of the Covenant, everybody say, that's God's presence. That's right. That was representative of God's presence. When you reach the bank, he's telling the guys carrying the Ark. When you reach the bank of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. So Joshua told the Israelites, come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today, you will know that the living God is what? Oh, come on. Say it like it's a good thing. He is what? Among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Havites and the Parasites. That's not what that is. And uh, (laughs) the Gergesites, right? The Amorites, the Jebusites that are all ahead of you. Look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the Lord. He just reminded them where all those sites are. That's mine too. I'm I'm the Lord of the whole earth. He will lead you across the Jordan. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel One from each tribe. And the priest will carry the ark of the Lord and the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of the water will be cut off upstream. And the river will stand up like a wall. And he said, don't move. Don't move till the ark moves. Don't move till his presence, and when his presence hit the waters, you go on and you read the rest of it, you'll see that the, the river, or the, this river, it literally just exploded. And on one side, it walled the water. Now, if you read it all, you're going to see. They, I love that they mentioned this. This is actually in the Bible. It just happened to be the time of the year that the river was flooded. And I love that they added that because all of the critics would say, yeah, but there probably wasn't much water in it. No, it was flooded. The river was flooding. How are we going to get over there? Over there is God's promised land. He told us we could have it. He's been telling us for 40 years we can have it. And now look, flooded river. Now we're going to go across? Why didn't we go earlier? There wasn't much water in it then. No, we're going to wait till it's flooded. You know, I can just hear all the grumbly church people. Right? What is he thinking? You know? Why? 
Yeah, and, and, and then it says that, that when they stepped into the water, when the priest carrying the presence of God stepped into the water, that instantly the water walled up upstream. Now, I don't know which takes more faith, stepping into the water with the presence of God or walking across looking at the wall of water. Think about that. Because there's some of us in the room, we'd be like, it's going to break any minute. We already forgot he just dried it up. Come on, right? Right? You know, oh, this is not wise. And, and, and in today's culture, here's the way it would be. That's not safe. That's just not safe. I, I could get off on that subject because we've made safe a God in and of itself, you know. And can I just tell you, living for Jesus is not safe. But it's good. It is. It is good. And I, I love, I love this. Matter of fact, write this down. His presence makes the impossible, what? Possible. That's right. All through the Jewish people's history. All through it. You see it over and over and over how God's presence showed up and the impossible happened. How they did all the stuff to have his presence, all the sacrifices, all the, the tabernacle, all the stuff, so his presence would be with them because they understood, when I'm in his presence, anything is possible. Anything is possible. Not only anything is possible, anything is probable. It's doable. Not just impossible, but it's doable. It, when I am in his presence. You read it. The whole Old Testament is full of people like Gideon, right? Where Gideon, was, he faced a, an, an incredible army with just a handful. God made him whittle it down. With just a few people, it was impossible. But when God's presence showed up, the other armies saw God's presence and was like, we ain't touching those guys. And they ran for fear. They ran. You see it with David over and over in his battles from Goliath all the way through. You see it with Jonathan and his armor bearer when they just said, just maybe God will help us out and climbed up on a cliff. You saw the presence of God and, and these two young guys climbing a cliff, facing 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and so many marching soldiers, they couldn't even count them all, and they all fell in the presence of God. They understood the presence of who God was, and the impossible happened. You know, you think about Ezekiel standing looking at a valley that was just a bunch of dead bones. And the breath of God, the power of God, the presence of God just went through that valley. And all of a sudden, it was like the walking dead in reverse. Those bones started coming together. The skin or the, or the muscles started coming. The heart, he saw the hearts beating in the bodies before the skin got on there. 
Don't you know that freak you out a little bit? And then it says that after they were all stood up, complete bodies, he breathed. The Spirit of God breathed, and they became alive, alive. A mighty army. Just amazing. As his presence continued to bless God's people, as they continued to do all the stuff to have his presence, they would cross over just right after the scripture we just read. They would cross over the Jordan River, and the first obstacle was Jericho, right? And they saw God's presence make those walls that were so thick that they raced chariots to beside each other on top of the walls. He saw those walls crumble into dust under the presence of a mighty God. They would go to the next city and see God's presence just open the door. Every city after city, God just was moving and said, I told you, I'm giving you this land. I promised it to Abraham. It's yours. It's been a long time coming, but here it is. And I told you that's what was going to happen. And Battle after battle, the impossible became possible. They saw it happening over and over and over. But then, the people of God did what I do. They got used to his presence. His presence got mundane his presence got well like we're his people he's gonna show up it's just what happens the first time I really ever encountered the presence of God in such a where I, I just stepped into his presence in a way I'd never stepped in. I was literally laying on the floor of a gym, face down, afraid to open my eyes. And then I would have more of those times with him that were so powerful, so real. But then after a while, it just becomes common. We go, wow, that was cool. God showed up at church today. That was cool. We saw those baptisms today. Man, that was powerful. His presence was so there. What's for lunch? What's the next thing? And that's what happened with the people of God. They got so used to his presence just showing up and doing it that it became common. Every day, mundane, yeah, we're his people, he's here, isn't that cool? And they got lazy with his presence. They stopped pursuing his presence. And when that happened, for the first time ever in the Israelites' history, they lost his presence. Matter of fact, the Philistines came in 
and stole the ark. And God let them. God let the enemy, this perverted culture, come in and take the ark. I want you to see what it says. Then she said, the glory has departed from Israel. The glory has departed. The ark is gone. His presence went with it. For the ark of God has been captured. After the Philistines captured the ark, this is the very just that that it's the next chapter, but it's the continuation of that last verse. After the Philistines captured the ark of the covenant, they took it from the battleground at Ebenezer to the town of Ashdod. And they carried the ark of God into the temple of Dagon. Now Dagon was this massive God statue that the Philistines worshipped as God. And it was huge, and it was carved out of rock, and it had a man's head and and a man's uh, upper body from about here up, man's arms, man's head, man's chest, but then it had a huge fish, lower torso and tail. And it was their way of saying, we worship man's ability, man's strength, and the power of nature. That was their God. Man's strength, man's creativity, and the power of nature. I don't know if you realize it, but Dagon is still a god. Very much alive in our culture. Come on, think about it. Where we celebrate our abilities, (laughs) our strength, our creativity, and Mother Earth. Nature. And they took the presence of God and set God's presence in the middle of this perverse temple. (laughs) But when the citizens of Ashdod went to see it the next morning, they were so proud of themselves. Dagon had fallen with his face to the ground in front of the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and they put him back up in place. I can't imagine because one place I read said that this thing was, was about 50 feet tall. That's like 20 feet taller than the top of this building. All right? And so they had to get in there with hoist and all of that and they stood Dagon back up. And then, when the next morning came, the same thing had happened. Dagon had fallen 
face down before the ark of the Lord again. This time, his head and his his head and hands had broken off and were lying in the doorway. The only the trunk of his body was left intact. Literally, the presence of God through that 50-foot, multiple-ton rock image so hard on the ground the second time that it shattered. And God was saying, your strength, your creativity, your power, the power of nature itself is nothing in my presence. I'll throw it on the ground in the middle of the night. It has no power next to me. That's pretty powerful when you think about it. You know, that it literally was thrown to the ground. Thrown to the ground. God's power was so, or his presence was so powerful. The psalmist says that literally the mountains melt like wax in his presence. That's pretty amazing. Psalm 114 says, tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. Tremble. Tremble. He is so big. He is so powerful. He is so awe-inspiring. His presence hmm, is more than we can stand. Yeah, even the angels, like Sam said, they just look and go, holy, holy, holy. His presence is so big and so powerful. I don't know about you, but I want to live experiencing that kind of presence. I want to live there. Not just experience it one time and go, well, that was cool. I want to live in a place where I experience that kind of power, that kind of provision. Where literally, I do what I know to do, and I don't worry about it because I know there's going to be food on the yard in the morning. To live with that kind of, or without any, any worry, without any fear of what's going to happen or am I going to lose it is the economy going to turn and and it's not going to be good anymore am I going to lose to be in a place where you can literally say it's okay because his presence is with me it's okay I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread it's okay he will provide what I need. And this was such an important thing that part of what was in the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments. And in the Ten Commandments, he gave them a very real way to continually stay and acknowledge his presence. And it was in something he called Sabbath. 
The word doesn't mean a day of the week. The word literally means a rest. It's what a Sabbath is. It's a rest. Whatever day it is, it's a rest. And he said, if you will trust me with the one day, if you'll give me the one day, <laughs> the six others are going to work so much better. It's just like giving him of our finances. We give out of faith knowing we're going to give. I can't afford to give, but I'm going to give. Because I know it's an act of trust. It's an act of faith that I'm giving this little bit knowing you're going to help me let the, let the rest work. It's going to be enough. And that's what Sabbath was. It was a day to go, this is yours, and I'm just going to spend the day in your presence. I'm going to give you the day. Knowing I can't afford to lose a day, knowing I got too much to do, I know I'll never get it done in six days. But I'm going to give you this day, and I'm going to trust you with the rest. I'm just going to do what I know to do. Because when I do, and when his presence is with me, we've already said it. I have all I need for today. Right? The impossible becomes possible. When I take that time to be with him, hmm, my emotional health is there. <laughs> my physical health is there. You know, but it's being with him. And then I love it. We're going to read the scripture, but Moses believed in the presence of God so much. Just think about this. Moses had spent 40 plus years trying to get to the promised land. So think about this. 40 years working toward your dream. Whether your dream is to build a house whether your dream is to start a business, whatever your dream is, just put it in that context right now. What is your dream? For some of you, it's just to graduate high school. That's it. I just got to get out of this place. Whatever. Whatever your dream is, right? Whatever it is, say, you are working. Now think about this. I'm working 40 years for this dream. Dealt with these grumpy people 40 plus years, right? Dealt with them, dealt with all the stuff 40 plus years to get them from Egypt where they were slaves into the promised land. I got to get them there. They are right there. <laughs> and God and Moses have a conversation. He turned the rock, oh wait, that's the, that's the last verses that I was supposed to read. He says this. Matter of fact, you may want to write this down. Don't let me go anywhere without your presence. God was having, God and Moses were having this conversation. He had worked 40 years to get there. And he's saying, Moses is like, uh, well, let's just read it. He says, if it is true that you look favorable on me. It's Moses talking. Let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. Because he had enjoyed his favor. He had enjoyed his presence. 
and remember that this nation is your very own people. The Lord replied, I will what? Everybody say it. Personally, go with you. Moses, I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, if you do not personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. I would rather stay in the wilderness than see what I've looked for for 40 years if it means I get all the stuff and you don't go with me. Don't make me leave from this place if you're not going with me. Your presence is so valuable to me. If I never see the promised land, if I never see what we've worked 40 years for, it's okay as long as I'm with you. Long as I'm with you, it's okay. Just I just want your presence. Now, well, how will anyone know? This is good for us today. Read it with me. Now, how will anyone know that you look favorable on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us for your what? Presence among us. Listen to this. This should be us. Your presence among us is what sets us apart from all the other people on the planet. The only thing that makes us different is his, what? It's his presence. That's the difference. That is the difference. And it's worth it. He's like, I'll give it all up. I'll give it all up. And then, think about this. After 4,000 years of having to do it this way, and sacrifice this, and even saying, man, I, I don't want to move from this place unless you go with me. After 4,000 years of that, the presence of God put skin on and was born of a virgin in a manger in a little town called Bethlehem. His presence, the presence of the living God that threw Dagon on the ground. <laughs> became flesh so he could live among us. So we didn't have to do all the stuff. So that we didn't have to go to the temple and build and mold and set up. He said, no, I come just to be with you. I want to show you how to work, how to rest. I want to show you. So here's my prayer. Is that we would become so Hungry for his presence, for who he is, 
that we would begin to, like I talked last week, we would begin to make space and make margin. That maybe some of us in the room, we just need to go, you know what? God, don't make me leave this place if you're not going with me. I don't want to go anywhere without you, without me being aware of you. God, I'm going to start really disciplining my day, my Sabbath, whatever Sabbath that is. I don't know if you realize it, but for preachers, Sabbath is not Sunday. This is a work day. This is not a Sabbath. But you know what? When I don't have a Sabbath, when I don't make that happen, and it's often, I'm just being honest, it's often I don't. And I can tell. Because I start questioning. See, when I see the pillar of fire, when I see the cloud, it's easy to go, you got this, God. I'm not worried. But I have, when I haven't been under the cloud, when I haven't been by the fire, it's really easy to go, do you have this, Lord? Is it really going to be okay? Our government's a mess. Everything's a mess. What in the world? Is it going to be okay? But see, when I've been with him, there's no doubt. When I've been with him, when I've been in his presence consistently, and somebody starts talking about how terrible it is, I'm like, you don't know my God. You don't know my God. It's not terrible. Because in his presence is fullness of joy. It's all I need. It's all I need. He was all I need before America ever got started. Come on. Matter of fact, I think it's interesting. I want you to write this down. That his presence is the blessing. His presence is the blessing. When we say, God, bless me. God, I need your blessing. What we're really saying is, God, I just need your presence. I just need you, I want, I want to step into your presence. His presence is there because Jesus did the work. He did it. His presence is there. It's here. But his presence is the blessing. You guys know the scripture gets quoted and misquoted all the time. One of the most misquoted scripture in all the Bible. In Jeremiah it says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans for hope. Plans to prosper you. Plans for your future. And we love quoting that verse. And it's a good one. But we stop there. And just two verses later, he says this. Remember, he just said, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you. Plans for a hope. Plans for a future. And then he says this. So here's what I'm going to do. The Babylonians are going to come in. 
and they're going to take you captive. And you're going to be slaves in captivity for the next 70 years. There's my plan. And it's a blessing. <laughs> it's a blessing. It's the hope. It's prosperity. You're going to live the next 70 years as slaves. And here's what he said. But don't worry. Because I'm going to be with you. Here's what I want you to do. When you get there, I want you, you go back and read it. He said, I want you to be a blessing to this perverted kingdom. I believe the most perverted kingdom that will ever be on the planet was the kingdom of Babylon. And the reason I say that is it is the kingdom that is referred to as the most corrupt in the book of Revelation. If we were the most corrupt, he would have said us. Just think about it. But he said, no. I have plans, hope, prosperity for you. You're going to go into this ungodly kingdom, and you're going to be a blessing to the ungodly. And you're going to build houses. You're going to plant gardens. You're going to build vineyards. You're going to marry off your kids. You're going to have grandbabies. You're going to live a life that everyone on the planet knows, I am with you. And can I just tell you, that has not changed for us. Wherever we are, whatever's going on around us, we are blessed by His presence when we live in His presence. And it doesn't matter what's going on around us. He is still God. And we still have an opportunity to be God's people in the middle of all of the crazy. Are y'all hearing me? It's his presence. It's Emmanuel. You're like, that's the weirdest Christmas message ever. No, it is the reality of the Christmas message. It is God with us. Emmanuel, his presence with us. And can I just tell you, you can have all the other stuff that we pursue. And there's nothing wrong with any of it. It's, he, he loves for his kids to have nice things. He does. Doesn't bother him a bit. It's okay to have a nice house, a nice car, a great job, make good money. Doesn't matter. He loves for his kids to have stuff. But all of it is worthless. And none of it will be enough without his presence. We'll just keep grabbing. The psalmist says, or the proverb says, we'll be like grabbing at the wind. Just grabbing like never catching it. Never quite enough. So here's the question. What idols have I set up? Or what is sharing the most important space in my life with Emmanuel. What have we allowed to be set up 
next to him like Dagon. What idol have I set up? Or what in my life have I made equally as important? Here's how you know. You're like, well, nothing. God's got, no, your time, your money, your conversation, that shows you what's really important. Hey, I don't like that either, but it's the truth. So what have we made more important? Here's the thing. I lived much of my married life that my wife was not in a good spot. And marriage was not like it should be because I had made her more of a focus than even God. And he's like, I'm not going to let an idol take my spot. But when I made her, I know it doesn't make great country music, but when I made her my number two, it worked a whole lot better. It's just true. When I started pursuing him, he showed me how to love her. It's so much better. So what idol? What thing am I letting be so important? And then, maybe our prayer is, I need your power. I pray that your presence today, Jesus, Emmanuel, will throw down the idols in my life. Give him room. Give him space right now. Take a moment. Thank you.